Slothbot with Robohub, the podcast for news and views on robotics. Welcome to the RoboHub Podcast. Today, we'll be finding out how a robot modelled on sloths, yes, you heard me, sloths, can support researchers with environmental monitoring. Appropriately called the Slothbot, this slow-moving, solar-powered robot traverses wires high above the ground in order to survey animals, plants and the environment below. Our interviewer Lauren spoke with one of the researchers working with the Slothbot, PhD student Gennaro Notomista, who is based at the Robotics and Intelligence Systems Laboratory at Georgia Tech. They discuss his work with Slothbot, including his goal of making robots robust enough to withstand long-term deployment in changing natural environments. Welcome to RoboHub. Can you introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. So my name is uh, Gennaro Nodomista. I'm um, from Italy. I studied uh, my undergrad and uh, master's in uh, Napoli. Italy uh, in mechanical engineering and then I moved to uh, back and forth between Germany and Italy before uh, landing uh, to Atlanta, uh, Georgia, where I'm uh, currently a robotics PhD student under the supervision of uh, Magnus Segerstedt. Wonderful. Can you tell me a little bit about one of the projects that you're working on now? Yeah, sure. So um, the first day that I entered the lab, I was told, are you interested in robots that don't do anything most of the times? So I said, sure, <laughs> it seems kind of easy, uh, but um, that led to uh, multiple, multiple uh, projects. One of them is the, is the, the Slotbot, which is uh, a, um, a wire traversing robot uh, that is envisioned for uh, long-term environmental monitoring applications. These include, for example, agricultural robotics application, where uh, the robot has had to um, be deployed for uh, weeks or months to monitor the, the state of a plantation or the growth of the plants, and uh, should be there for living with the plants. And, uh, of course, the energy is a big issue because the, 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 the batteries used for robotic applications nowadays last at most like around one hour. If you think about the, the quadcopters, one of the biggest uh, problems is, is, is that the battery lasts for 20 minutes for the biggest rob- uh, robots and uh, they, they should go back and forth from the, between the charging stations. So what we want is to um, kind of design both the mechanics and the uh, algorithms to control uh, the, a wire traversing robot. Um, so the slot pod is um, it's called slot pod, first of all, because uh, it's very slow paced. So uh, it moves on wires, as the slot mostly do, um, and it's self-sustained in the in an energetic sense. And, um, and so far as uh, it basically can get uh, the energy that it needs from the sun, in uh, in the case of uh, the current design, um, using using solar panels. We already deployed one of the versions uh, uh, for a, a one-day-long experiment in which it was monitoring basically the the um, some uh, environment. Uh, environmental quantities such as uh, illuminance or humidity or temperature. Um, that was for the the first testing of the whole system. And uh, actually, we started also the um, uh, the process of deploying it to, into a botanical garden, uh, where it was going to be available for uh, people to look at and uh, interact with as well. Interesting. So you mentioned energy efficiency as one of the main design considerations. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about how that came into play 
with designing this wire traversing robot. Yeah, that's uh, mm, that's right. So um, the fact that it's traversing wires, I think, is the is the main uh, the main thing for uh, save, saving energy, mm-hmm. right? Because if you wanna uh, monitor. Uh, as we said in an agricultural field, the growth of a plant, you don't want to spend energy just to stay in the same place and uh, look at the plants. So mm-hmm. what we uh, thought is to, to is to have a wire in uh, a wire mesh infrastructure on the field, and then let the robot traverse this mesh and uh, like just ha- be hung, remain hung on the wires uh, while it's observing uh, the plants. Uh, we we also think that this is. Um, this can be used to uh, recover energy, say for the from the wind, uh, if you can say glide over the over the slopes that are in these wires, or and just use energy to to climb up and basically recharge yourself in the sun. Um, and we care about energy because, as I said, uh, this is a big issue uh, nowadays. There are most of the robots in the labs, at least, uh, either um, last for just the the length of an experiment, like twenty minutes, or they are connected, they are plugged in. And so uh, what we want for long-duration autonomy is um, robots that can actually sustain, be self-sustained and leave forever. Right. So that a person doesn't have to keep climbing up to the wire, replacing the battery. Yeah, that's right. That's right. This is like robustness from this, from this point of view. I see. And can you tell me a little bit how the traversal works? Yeah, sure. So... Um, one of the one of the constraints and for the the current design of the slot is that we want we wanted to be able to switch between uh, wire branches um, and besides that we also want that this switch happen uh, happens in uh, in a fail safe way because we don't want that the robot just falls and we don't know what uh, what to do we should go back and forth from the field to to recover right. um, so basically we we designed this mechanism which is actually um, being um, uh, other review for a, for a patent right now, uh, which consists in a sequence of uh, uh, actuated gears, uh, which allow the robot the the, the robot to be uh, always firmly and fail safely attached to the wires, uh, also during the the switching maneuvers. I see. So, what does this look like? Can you describe a little uh, yeah, bit? Yeah, sure. Robot so, physically? the the current prototype of the robot is uh, made up of two. Um, bodies connected by okay. an actuated hinge um, which is actuated by a servo motor uh, and each of these bodies has um, two um, uh, gearings uh, which are s- still again actuated by by, by servo motors uh, and it has uh, each of these bodies uh, each of these bodies has a um, uh, a tire which is actuated by a DC uh, a DC motor, uh, which allows the robot to traverse uh, this wire like a cable car. You can you might think you can think of a, a cable car. Okay, so it's um, like two connected cable yes. cars. Okay. Yes, that's right. That's right. It's like a train on a cable. <laughs> okay. And future versions of the of the robot will consist of uh, will be made up of three of these bodies or multiple of these bodies in order to be able to overcome or to uh, switch between wires which are uh, at sharp angle, say a right angle or to be more robust against obstacles which are on the wires. Right? Okay. You can avoid obstacles or whatever is uh, on the wire, say a bird that <laughs> is on the wire or some uh, unexpected uh, uh, obstacle. You can just um, go around like a, like a, um, like a caterpillar. Right? right. And then when one of the train cars attaches to another wire, is the other one still attached to the original wire? So you have kind of that fail-safe mechanism. Yeah, that's right. So the multi-body structure gives the, the, the fail-safe uh, property because during the switching, there is always at least one body that is um, firmly attached to one on the wires. I see. Mm-hmm. And then from this, you came up with the name Slothbot. 
yeah <laughs> yeah i mean if you if you google slot slot uh, there's gonna be 100 percent probably uh a slot that is traversing a wire uh, mm-hmm. actually the slots are also very energy efficient because uh they don't need to spend energy to uh, uh remain hung to the wire it's a little sad but even when they die um they remain firmly hung to the wire because they have this like hook like uh hands the nails actually wow so that's where and the so, inspiration comes yeah, from yeah so they don't need to spend energy to stay there mm-hmm. okay so now that you've explained a little bit the mechanical aspects mm-hmm, of the project mm-hmm. can you tell me a little bit about how the sloth bot decides where to traverse and when to switch wires oh yeah sure that's um uh, that is application dependent of course uh, as i said the environmental monitoring is uh, one big application and long term environmental monitoring is uh, useful in many fields such as agricultural robotics um say you are say you are in a field we assume that the robot knows uh, the road map made, made by made up of these uh, wires um and um we basically uh, actually had last year's uh, ICRA we presented a paper to uh, control the robot on the on the wires um, in a actually to control a, a swarm of these robots on a wire in order to let them uh, distribute um, spatially on the domain that we want to monitor in an optimal way this is realized using some uh, something that's called coverage control which is uh, a uh, technique used in uh, very very well known in swarm robotics uh, that basically makes uh, a a multi-robot system spread evenly and optimally in a domain that you want to observe and of course on this domain there might be areas which are more interesting than others Uh, and what we want is to uh, let the robots go and observe these areas um, more carefully and so um, the design or the Design, yeah, design algorithm uh, takes care of this uh, and let the robot actually distribute themselves according to the information uh, that is on the environment or the probability, uh, equivalently, the probability that some event will occur in some specific places or the, of the domain. Okay, so you have some algorithm that tells the robots where to go, how to not collide with each other. That's right. That's okay. right. And uh, so we basically have the first high-level task, which is uh, go observe this phenomenon. Uh, and there are constraints that the, the robot should satisfy. That is, first of all, we should not collide to each other. Second, uh, we should not die. So uh, if something, uh, if the battery level, say, is going down, we say uh, uh, trade off the task to go and recharge somewhere in the sun, for example, in the case of solar solar-powered uh, robots, um, and this is this was also another work that, which was presented uh, last year's uh, uh, international conference of robotics animation. Great. So, <clears throat> can you tell me how do the people that are presumably using this data, right? Because you're collecting data about an agricultural area mm-hmm. or a garden or a field. Mm-hmm. How do the people get this data, and in what form are they getting it? Yeah, sure. So um, in the in the experiments we deployed, we basically have the robot is connected to a network, either uh, using Wi-Fi technology or um, uh, cellular data technology. Uh, for example, one of the applications would be to uh, look at the orchids in Ecuador, somewhere in, up in the mountains where there is no Wi-Fi. <laughs> so we basically connect it as a cell phone. To the, to the cellular uh, network and uh, get this this data stream to a to a, uh, a web server so we just go just go to a, a web a website and we can see real time the data that the robot is collecting 
Okay. And what type of data is the robot collecting? Is it making diagnoses about what's happening with that the is also That is also application dependent. Say we okay. want to monitor something visually. Uh, we're interested in, I don't know, in the color or something. Then we get we let the robot uh, take pictures of the um, of the environment and then stream stream them uh, back. Uh, in case of uh, I don't know, uh, when a swarm a robot estimating the, the the temperature field or the humidity field uh, in a in a um, uh, say in a greenhouse, for example, uh, we had this data uh, just in the format of uh, graphs or uh, uh, text uh, format. Okay, and how much work is required to go from one application to another so as we built as uh, so in the current uh, prototype the um, uh, switching between different sensors is uh, is, is actually very easy is uh, um, is modular in this sense because we have a, a central uh, processing unit which takes care of the communication with the with the with the user and then there is a low level uh, um, uh, processor which is connected to this to the first one to the main one uh, which interacts with sensors and actuators and so you can just plug and play uh, you can just plug your, your sensors and you'll, you'll get the, the data um, automatically streamed back. Uh, and also the like coding is very easy because we are using uh, something which is uh, like a Raspberry Pi-like um, board that can be is basically a, a Linux-based uh, uh, um, Linux Linux-like machine uh, which can be programmed using uh, like your preferred uh, programming language. Interesting. And then are you going to the locations yourself and installing these systems? Uh, so far, yes. I hope I'm going to go to <laughs> Ecuador to, uh, <laughs> to do this as well. But uh, yeah, so far we're, uh, we're going to mount it ourselves. Wow. And, uh, mm -hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about what that experience was like? Yeah, sure. So far, we just did like very um, um, a preliminary experiments, uh, which we let the robot stay for uh, like a day long experiment, monitoring experiment. Um, in the next few months, uh, there is going to be the deployment in the in the botanical garden, as I was as I mentioned uh, earlier. So maybe I'll let you know in the next uh, in the next podcast. <laughs> Great, I look forward to it. So now that I know what the robot is going to be doing and what status it's at now. Tell me a little bit about the design process. How did you get from point A to where you are now? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Since I have a lot, a lot, I would have a lot to say about this. <laughs> so this is uh, the current design is of course the uh, the end of a, a long uh, iterative process uh, design. Initially, we started with uh, a robot that was not able to switch. Uh, that was a very to simple switch design wires. to switch between wires. That's right. Uh, it was a very simple design with a basically a wheel that was uh, uh, the, the wire that was sandwiched between two wheels. Uh, one of one of them was actuated, uh, and that was very robust. Of course, uh, it couldn't it could never fall because there was no no need of switching uh, or no mechanism to switch. Um, and then once we decided to switch wires, then the, the challenge, the actual design challenge be, began. Um, the first iteration was, uh, uh, consisted actually of uh, the body of the robot mounted above the wire, the okay. mesh of wires. Uh, you can already, like, uh, sure, imagine, I can imagine it imagine, falling under from right, the weight. That's right. Okay. <laughs> so um, there is a trade-off there. Uh, it's may, maybe the, 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 the switching mechanism is easier, but the fail safeness is, um, Compromise, I would say. Uh, right. And or, was that before you were thinking of it as a sloth bot? Because a sloth, you inherently think upside down. That is true. Yeah, that's true. Uh, actually, we went in like 
we were thinking already of the slot pod, uh, but we were thinking in this in this sense from a more uh, engineering and technical point of view without being too uh, biologically inspired. Then we said mm-hmm. this makes no sense because you can't walk unless you are like I don't know squirrels can, but uh, <laughs> um, that's more like a dynamic, uh, more dynamic um, a robot. We want we want something that is uh, like just does nothing most of the times, and so uh, it should be just hung. On the wires should remain hung on the wires most of the times, and so um, since the first one, the first iteration was uh, a failure from this point of view. Uh, we went to uh, the the body of the robot below the wires, um, and this, of course, um, introduces a new challenge because if uh, the stability is not a problem anymore, the um, uh, locomotion becomes more more complicated. You can imagine the, all the cable cars and uh, these these kind of things have the wheel on top because they exploit gravity to create the uh, the friction required to locomote. Uh, in our case, we need to exploit the the wire tension created by by the the deformation of the wire uh, that goes through uh, the bodies of the robot um, uh, to build up the, the the friction required to locomote and. Um, Besides that, uh, since we should be able to switch between wires, uh, the top, whatever is on top of the, the wires uh, cannot be connected uh, rigidly with whatever is on the, at the bottom, uh, especially if something is, con- is electronically uh, uh, or is connected through power, such as motor, for example. Uh, and so everything is below, um, and um, it took a while to figure out how do you, uh, you do this, uh, you switch, you, you design a, me- a switch, me- a switching mechanism uh, between wire branches. Um, yeah, before you, before we got to the to the current design, which uh, worked actually pretty re- reliably. Great. So, tell me a little bit more about how that switching mechanism works, because mm-hmm. I'm imagining one robot comes off or one train car comes off, and then how does it pull itself back up onto another wire? Oh yeah. Uh, so we actually didn't look too closely uh, to um, the failure recovery. Uh, so okay. if um, so far we just uh, wanted the robot to be fail safe. So if something happens, it doesn't fall. Um, but actually, uh, that can be realized with not too many changes. Uh, if the these two bodies are connected through an, an actuated um, hinge or uh, um, you can imagine as uh, it's like a robotic arm, right? Which is connected. So that means uh, that we can orient and position one of the bodies with respect to the other as we want. Um, and so this can be used to recover and put the one of the, one of the bodies back onto the wires. Interesting. So because mm. the arm is strong, it's not just... Yeah. It's not just a it's link not a between the link. two. Yeah, it's not a right. passive link. Yeah, that's right. Okay. And how does it know, how does one of the train cars know whether or not it's successfully brought the wire into the right place? Ah, that's a good question. As I said, we didn't think too much about the <laughs> failure recovery, but uh, I feel that's a very good uh, um, a topic for uh, going on, maybe next uh, <laughs> conference. Given that you still are looking into ways to ensure that you're looking that you're grasping onto the right wire, ensuring mm. fail safeness in terms of if one of the train cars falls, how does it get back up by being pulled by the other, you know, by the link between the two of them? Is there work, and if so, what work still remains between right now and when you deploy? Oh, I see. So the deployment, of course, takes uh, much more work, I would say, uh, than um, testing it even for 
even for a day-long experiment, it's not uh, we cannot uh, like certify that the, the robot will will work forever. So um, of course, the deployment outdoor will um, involve the waterproofing of the robot, um, and of course, we should carefully uh, be enabled to um, overcome all the all the problems that could could, could happen over a long time uh, time horizon. Um, for example, the, the the failure recovery should be one of the priorities. Um, the energy management should absolutely be um, like the first hard constraint, which is enforced on the on the robot. Um, and I think that's uh, that's exciting, and that's what I'm actually gonna do for the for next year. I think. Wow, I look mm-hmm. forward to seeing it. So, what kind of testing do you need to do in order to to prove that? Because I imagine if you're deploying it for a long time, you want to have it tested. But mm-hmm. in order to test it to make sure it's ready to be deployed for a long time, you kind of need to deploy it for a long time. Yeah, so that, that's, how do you how do you mm-hmm. quantify how robust it is? So, for example, as they do in the, I don't know the in the aeronautics uh, industry, right? They they certify this thing is like it has a zero point zero 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 one failure uh, probability, for example. Mm-hmm. And what we're gonna do is to um, not we don't we are not interested in certifying the these very very small numbers but it should it should work 99% say at times and so what we're going to do is to um, the waterproofing is uh, okay is uh, once you waterproof you have components which are certified to work um, with a certain probability uh, for the fail safeness we're going to test um, something inside the lab uh, to make the robot fail as um, uh, often as we can and then check the recovery um, uh, strategy or mechanism uh, and uh, yeah, basically to uh, check how often uh, it gets, it, it manages to get the robot back functional. Okay. And how involved then are you? Do you need to be once you've deployed? Yeah, hopefully not too much. <laughs> hopefully we just go there for a walk and see the slot with uh, monitoring the, <laughs> the environment and us. Uh, but we'll see. These, I think, are the the biggest uh, the biggest challenges and uh, uh, things that we we'll, we will learn and uh, discover in the next uh, in the yeah the next uh, few months. Right, it's mm-hmm. definitely very unique because so often in research studies you see kind of a one off experiment mm. where mm-hmm. you want to do something really unique and interesting. Mm-hmm. However, sometimes that comes at the expense of robustness. So That's it seems right. like you guys have you know, aimed for the uniqueness and the interestingness from the beginning. And then once you achieved that, then moving towards the robustness. Is yeah, that, is that that's, that's one approach. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So there is this duality between uh, optimality and robustness, right? If you're, uh, if you're optimal with respect to the cost, it means that whatever you do is not going to be optimal. For example, you're saying, uh, say we want to go from point A to point B in uh, this specific amount of uh, time by expanding the least amount of energy as possible. If you spend just a little bit less, you're not going to get there in time. And so something is going to break. Um, what we are trying to do is actually uh, to have robustness uh, achieved or, yeah, to get robustness achieved uh, alongside optimality, which is, I think, one of the biggest challenges uh, in, uh, in robotics. Um, and in fact, what we want is to, uh, like, define the optimality measure in such a way that if something if the robot is optimal or the robot being optimal is equivalent to say uh, the robot can live and be self-sustained for uh, years okay and i would imagine that that's something that you know outer space applications have to deal with as well 
Yeah, that's a good no, point. Not really any long-term deployment. That's right. For example, you don't want you don't want the rover on Mars to get stuck somewhere and uh, right. <laughs> uh, not be able to uh, get it back anymore. Uh, and in fact, those things are very, very, um, very, very robust. But in a sense, they are um, they are very, very over um, uh, thought, or the design is uh, is very, very redundant. Um, one of the objective of this uh, of the slot of the design of the slot was also to give it as simple as possible. Of course, if the constraint is to have it robust, um, the simplicity, of course, has to be trade off. But uh, we'll see. Sure. So, given that robotics and you know, one field, you know, HRI specifically is is moving towards long term deployments and long term interactions. What advice do you have for PhD students who are? entering this environment where there's a lot of interest in long-term deployments, but at the same time, when you're a PhD student, there's also a lot of interest in, you know, getting that next paper out, finishing a project. How do you as a PhD student handle those two different types of goals? Yeah, that's a very good question. I feel there are, there are, there are differences between fields, but I feel if you uh, like doing something and you do it the right way, Every field can be um, can accomplish the two things at the same time. So you get you can have fun doing it, and you can get stuff published as uh, <laughs> because that's what is measured afterwards. Um, definitely, the 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 human robot interaction is one of the the hottest topic in robotics. So if you are um, uh, interested in this field, it's gonna be um, actually your life is gonna be a little easier uh, from this point of view. I think uh, I'm not an HRI, and so I can't uh, certify this, but. Uh, <laughs> Definitely, it's gonna be. If you have fun, I think everything is gonna be. Uh, it's gonna be good. Great. Well, thank you. And I guess my last question is: mm-hmm. you know, as a successful PhD student in robotics yourself, what are some of the main lessons you learned along the way? So, one thing that I knew, but I didn't learn before starting a PhD, was that the PhD is uh, something you should concentrate on a very narrow uh, thing to become a very an expert in a very narrow thing. And this is something I never managed to do uh, because I like doing multiple things, Slotbot being one of them, but I'm involved in uh, many more other uh, projects. I think as long as you you manage to have fun and at the same time to um, mm, uh, do things uh, in a scientific way, meaning um, you have a, a, a nice, a right methodology to do things, you'll be successful um, in whatever fields. Uh, whatever field whatever field you work great well thank you so much and and uh, I appreciate you taking the time to discuss your work sure it was a pleasure and that is the end of today's podcast as always simply go to robot.org forward slash podcast for all our past episodes as well as more robot related content news and features And if you have an idea for a topic we should cover or think of someone we should talk to for one of our upcoming episodes, get in touch and let us know. You can contact us via the website or email our director at abate.de.mey at robohub.org. We'll be back with another episode in two weeks' time. Until then, goodbye. Slothbot with Robohub, the podcast for news and views on robotics. <laughs>